Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host, Sinan. And I'm Jamie. And we have a special guest, uh, because Ben has decided to go on a vision quest. At least that's what I understood yeah. from what they were saying to us. No, no, I think that, I think that was right. Yeah, so let me introduce our friend, Connor. Hi, I'm the oblig- obligatory American guy for this episode. Yeah, we're going to need to get more Americans into the podcast a little bit because we're going to start talking about NATO shit um, as we as we move past World War Two. Suddenly, NATO becomes a thing. So I was like, well, we'll just start with like the least American American I know, who's um, who's not Nate, because um, <laughs> I don't think Nate would would be would be baited into doing this. So, well, I have at least lived in Turkey. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. There is there is relevance here. There is there is a reason why you came to mind, and also you did offer to talk about America related stuff. And this is tangentially America related. You yeah. know, funded in CIA death squad. That's always a that's a deeply American tradition. Yeah, if yeah, that's their that's their way of life, and it's wrong for us to tell them to change. Yeah. While while you're here, can you confirm or deny the rumors that the CIA have been trying to do a coup on the Pope? Uh, oh my god. This, I can confirm that the CIA loves coups. <laughs> I, I, I'll take I that, that, I'll take that as, a, so as a resounding yes. <laughs> I love that bonus episode so much, but also for reasons we probably don't know where they're going to live for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're just going to we're going to ignore that for now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Last week, we pretty much wrapped up World War II in one episode, which was... Imp- well, I suppose it's impressive if you think of World War II among active countries, but Turkey wasn't really an active country. It was just selling shit to people and pretending to be important, which I suppose is something it does very well, generally. Just sort of as a general point, but we're beginning in 1945. Everyone lived happily ever after, after 1945. The Nazis were defeated. You know, it was... There was going to be eternal friendship between America, Britain, and the Soviet Union. Europe was in ruins. You know, it was a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Really, I mean, what, you know, that's it. Only way is up, right? I don't really see yeah. why 1945, uh, Fukushima, uh, what's his name? Uh, Francis uh, Fukushima didn't write his essay then. I mean, everything was over. Yeah, Francis Fukuyama, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. History was over, except I don't think anyone could have made that mistake because the Soviet Union were just there, looming large, as they do over Turkey, basically for this entire thing. Because basically, the Soviet Union really, really do not like the current Turkish government that's in power because they think Turkey was effectively an Axis power in World War Two, whereas everyone else simply disagrees with that for convenience sake. Right after the war, the Soviet Union decided to void the Turkish-Soviet non-aggression pact. So just as soon as the war was over, the Soviet Union were like, you know what, we would like to theoretically get aggressive with you. We're not sure when, but we want to we let you know it's on the table. And so this entire sequence of events that are known as the Turkish Straits Crisis, which I've written correctly this time in the notes, because last time I wrote Straits wrong. And then accidentally out. <laughs> then I accidentally outed myself on the podcast. So, um, whoops. Um, but I did write it correctly this time. And it's so in 1936. We talked about this in the sort of build up to World War Two. 
the Soviets really, really, really didn't like that Turkey wanted to remilitarize the Bosphorus because they wanted to be able to go in and out of it as they pleased because they have a big fleet in the Black Sea. Turns out that issue never really went away. And so the Soviets got big mad about it because one, Turkey got let into the UN basically on a technicality. So in order to join the UN when it first founded, you had to be a co-belligerent against um, Nazi Germany. Yeah. Which Turkey very technically did for two months. Yeah, just run in at the end and like fucking slap everybody. Yeah, they basically did the equivalent of like being a poacher striker. They basically took all the credit for um for it at the end. Hit, There's hit, a hit it when someone kill steals Nazi Germany. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> they were yeah. camping. They're camping outside <laughs> Berlin, and then deploying <laughs> um, <laughs> the paratroopers. Yeah, but. Actually, this is a weird thing. It's actually a weird point of pride in, in, among the Republican People's Party that, like, basically Turkey didn't join World War II and not a single Turkish person got hurt during it. Which we know isn't true because there was an accidental bombing of Turkey by a British plane. Yeah. So, but I remember there was, like, a 90th anniversary ad for the Republican People's Party, which was basically, like, a Turkish anime. It was really fucking weird. <laughs> Some of the weirdest, like, political adverts I've ever seen. And one of the things was like, yeah, we didn't even take any damage from World War II, but also we did, you know, do rationing and a preemptive scorched earth. But don't worry about that. I'm sure that was popular and will not come up at all later. <laughs> it was completely fine. So World War II occupied the Soviets a little bit, I think it's safe to say, right? I, I think yeah. it's reasonable to suggest the Soviet Union was a little bit occupied with World War II. Kept but them once busy. World War II's... Yeah, you know, really, you know. Well, I in American schools learned that me uh, that us and the British single-handedly won the war. I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what, what was it, Jamie? Two World Wars, one World Cup. Isn't that yeah. what we're taught here? No, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've fully just yeah. I I I didn't. I just dropped history as soon as I could, and then stupidly did geography GCSE instead of history. It's it's wild. It's wild that Stalin found the time to kill any Germans in between his genocide of eight hundred billion million people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, doesn't the Victims of Communism Foundation literally include Nazi casualties <laughs> Probably. in their in their <laughs> number? Isn't isn't that actually like? I think they include yeah. every every person who's ever lived. Yeah, including me. Um, and my brain cells, although to be fair, um, some, some evidence to suggest that communism might be responsible for that. So after World War II's done, the Soviets decide to return to this issue of the Turkish Straits, which is important to them because they need to get ships out of the Bosphorus, right? Yeah. And they're, they're pushing the issue at the international level where they're like, look, we need, you know, we need ships to be able to go through the straits. And actually, one of the main issues here was that Turkey wouldn't allow Soviet ships when they had civilian crews to go through the straits during World War II. Interestingly, Turkey definitely did allow German and Italian ships to go through, um, which <laughs> may have fueled the suspicion on the part of our favorite guy, uh, Uwe Swambin Stalin, yeah. that Turkey may have been an Axis power. Which is, and also might be part of the reason why uh, the Soviets had a general rule of sinking every neutral ship in the sea, in the Black Sea, because might they think that Turkey's let them through to try and screw them over? 
Now, all of this kind of heats up a little bit in 1946 because an American battleship comes to visit. An American battleship, the USS Missouri, just shows up to Turkey. And they basically, the, the, the excuse they had is great. They come to basically return the ashes of a Turkish ambassador. That was their excuse for an American battleship showing up in Turkey. <laughs> now, American battleships will show up in Turkey again later, and they are much less popular um, at that point. If you look at my banner image on Twitter, it might have something to do with that. But the Soviets basically feel like the regime that governs the Straits doesn't exist anymore. They're like, look, we, we agreed to this set of rules, and it's obvious these rules aren't being followed. So, you know, maybe we don't recognize the rules anymore and we want to deal with this. Look, just because the Americans send a ship that was used to force the surrender of Japan all the way over to Turkey doesn't mean we're trying to do a global empire or anything like that. No, no I mean, definitely not. Heaven forfend. Yeah, Ameri claiming America is doing imperialism is a surefire way to get in a lot of trouble on Twitter. So, um, <laughs> but Turkey is basically scared of the Soviet Union. It has a military and political establishment that lent access, you know, to varying degrees. So, you know, it makes it a perfect future ally of the West. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not unusual for a NATO country or Western-aligned country to have literal former Nazis in charge of it. So what's a, what's a little, you know, axis alignment among, between friends? So the Soviets basically get pressured by Britain and America to withdraw, because we're in this sort of situ weird situation where we have like two and a half superpowers, I guess. Britain hasn't had the Suez crisis yet, so it still technically gets to pretend like it's a big boy country. Something that we haven't psychically recovered from, yeah. to be honest. We, lo we love to pretend we're a big boy country. Yeah, that's why we're um, having, like, what, ten official days of mourning as of recording over an old woman dying. And, yeah. also, and also, like, every McDonald's in the UK is going to be shut on Monday. Yeah, but only, like, 200 of them are still paying the staff. Also, yeah, also Centre Parks has bizarrely oh, shifted. Centre park, like, Parks are posting through it, like. Uh, you could not pay me enough money to do their social media. Nah. I mean, you think... Oh, I would not fucking do that job. I'm just, I'm just upset that I'm banned from Twitter at the moment because I would, I would absolutely be in the replies to every tweet they did, cursing their new position for either being like disrespectful, disrespectful. Or, or too respectful, <laughs> depending on what it was. <laughs> well, you'll be pleased to know, Jamie, that everyone is doing that exact bit. Yeah. Like, everyone's got it covered. You just have to live yeah. vicariously. Yeah, I think I think my favorite one was when they were saying they'd kick everyone out, and just the way even like normies were going, "This is insane, right?" Yeah, and then they flipped to, "We're going to force everyone to stay in the park as a, <laughs> as an overcorrection." Yeah, everyone, like, everyone has to remain indoors during the event. Yeah, I mean, probably be for the best. God knows what fucking horrible thing is going to happen as a result of this. But the horrible thing that happens as a result of this crisis is that Turkey will eventually join NATO which sucks, but they'll join NATO by, you know, they'll, they'll ease the Turkish population into it by sending a bunch of Turkish people, including my granddad, off to Korea. But that's, that's for a much later episode. I want to talk specifically about the Turkish brigade in Korea, because boy are there stories about them. A lot, and a lot of them are very racist, would you believe? 
I'd be shocked. Yeah. It's, it, as, a, as a sort of prelude to it, I'll just say that I've heard on more than one occasion that this brigade had difficulties telling the difference between Korean and Chinese people and ended up doing a lot of friendly fire. Yeah. But how how is Turkey going to reclaim Turan without uh, understanding without Korea? Yeah. Without the Koreans. I mean Yeah, they are part of Turan. As we as we discovered. <laughs> and I don't think there's anyone that's not part of Turan, right? <laughs> like it's pretty sure I, they they include American natives in Turan. So there's this great uh Reddit post. I, I know it's Reddit, look how cool I am. But where where someone made a map of countries my dad claimed as Turkic, and it includes like Peru and Bolivia, because <laughs> because they just assumed that the native population, the indigenous populations there are um are are Turkish, and it's just so weird. I had to explain that to someone because people were tagging me in that, being like, "Explain this Peru Bolivia stuff." I'm like. Why am I the guy who's... And then I realise why I'm the guy who's explaining this to people. But, uh, I mean, it's it's at least a relief from having to argue with my dad about whether Hittites are Turks or not. Because that, that's... Um, I'm looking forward to that argument this Christmas. Basically, there are two genres of argument in my family at Christmas. There's the communism arguments, and then there's the are Hittites Turks arguments. And my mum is fucking sick of both of them at this point. I'm just waiting for the Are Hittites Communist argument. Are Hittites Communist? That's a... Well, no, I don't think you, any Bronze Age society can be communist, right? I'm not, I'm not sure they, they had the, the, the sort of productive capacity to develop in that way. Who knows? Although, actually, to be fair, if you ask um, Dr. Arnold Yanaga, friend of the show, about what peasant revolts look like, turns out they look a lot like communism. Which is why I weep openly whenever I have to defeat them in Crusader Kings 3. So there are also like border disputes between, uh, between Turkey and the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union really, really, really wants to take some Turkish territory. In fact, I'll show you, I'll show you the map. So this is specifically the Georgian portion of the, of the claims. There is an Armenian portion of the claims, but that is suspiciously unmapped. For those wondering, I, if this map ever actually came to be, would be half Georgian. Congrats. Yeah, yeah, and Erdogan would be fully Georgian. In fact, he's already fully Georgian, but like he would actually be Georgian by nationality. But yeah, congrats to me. I think I would be part of the, the Lazetti like, republic. So I guess I'd be Laz, which I'm not going to get into the specific impression of that in Turkey right now, but suffice to say that's not a positively stereotyped group of people to be a member of are there any positively stereotyped groups of people in turkey because every time every time you bring it up it's always some like fucking racist shit yeah it's pretty much racist shit like that look my, my look my family my dad's family are from the black sea coast of turkey as you can tell from the map and they're from like the northeast which is uh, a region where people have a bit of a reputation for how could how should i put this being hot-headed dumbasses. Oh, so kind of like the Northeast over here as well. Yeah, a little bit. I've heard it explained as the Texas of, of Turkey before. Yeah, that's kind of a good way to explain it, I suppose. It is a bit like that. And the thing is, a lot of very prominent politicians come from this region. Like, the mayor of Istanbul, his family are from there. Um, Erdogan is from the same province as my dad's family which is a bit uncomfortable to have to think about. But anyway, 
Like, a, a lot of very prominent... And so people kind of go, ah, it's because they're jealous. Look at how great all our politicians are. And I look at them and I go, they're kind of shit, actually. <laughs> I'm a bit worried we're... Of course, something that kind of is forgotten because it's so, so distant in the past is this region of Turkey used to be kind of like a leftist fortress for a while, actually, electorally. And also is a place where an actual attempt at doing municipal communism happened. But So, you know, it's not all bad. It's not hot-headed dumbasses. It's just some people from there are a bit... are very famous for being dicks. That's all I'll say. Right. I think Not it's me. it's great to learn that you're a Turkish Geordie, though. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, on my mum's side, not so much. I'm from, like, the exact, like, geographically opposing region, even. <laughs> and I'm not sure what the stereotype is for people from there, but I also imagine it's not very good. Although, hmm, I might have to look after the stream, or ask my mum. Actually, my mum did text me about the Queen dying, but I won't read her text out because I'll have to bleep it. <laughs> and I, I, I keep losing where the bleep sound effect is. So, so I had to bleep two things last time because apparently I don't I didn't remember doing this, but apparently I wished death upon a specific individual twice <laughs> <laughs> in the last episode. So, um, but also it would have ruined it to completely cut it out. So I had to bleep it, which is unfortunate. So why am I telling you about like Turkey approaching the US because of Soviet pressure? It's because the big development after 1945 in Turkey, is they do this thing called having multiple parties. Multiple political parties. Something I was told would never catch on, but they, they, they want to start doing that. And part of the reason they want to start doing that is because Turkey sort of deliberately wrecked its economy during the war because they were worried that they were going to be invaded. So they deliberately sort of underproduced stuff and destroyed infrastructure. And they want money from someone. Now, the Soviet Union is not going to give them money anymore because you can't really trick them into thinking you're doing communism after, you know, yeah. 22 years. By that point, the ship has sailed. They, they figured you out. And also, they're mad at you for sort of essentially being aligned to the Axis. So who's willing to give money to countries that, are aligned, that were aligned with the Axis? It's our buddy, America. Woo! Yeah. But America made it a precondition of aid money, which would eventually be the Marshall Plan, or called the Marshall Plan, I guess colloquially, was that Turkey was basically one of the conditions for it was that you had to be at least pretending to be a multi-party democracy. Yeah. And, and Turkey was not pretend. Well, they were pretending because they had the independent group, who we know and love, Mike Gapes standing in the Turkish <laughs> parliament screaming about the Stalinist. Actually, that would make sense, at least, in this case. But yeah, the independent group. Now, the independent group weren't really a political party. They were just a group of Republican People's Party MPs, they told, to go play at being, you know, an opposition. To, just to get practice in. We need to practice having an opposition so that they don't immediately go nuts and arrest them every time. Yeah. So it's re <laughs> really to help their temperament ease into the idea of having an opposition. That's like a fucking viz strip, that, you know what I mean? Like the Turkish, the Turkish government just keeps arresting the opposition, despite their wife making them promise they won't every time she goes out to the shops or whatever. She comes home and <laughs> finds out they've arrested another opposition. <laughs> Which one was it this time? The Free Republican Party. God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, that's... Um, Maybe not too distant from an element of the truth there, but... Um. Well, all, all the best satire is, isn't it? So Yeah, I guess. 
so you have on the one hand this pressure from America, which is if you want aid money to rebuild your country, you've got to look like a multi-party democracy. And it turns out there are a lot of ways you can do that. But one of the easiest ways is to just have a second party and have it constantly lose, like the Labour Party. <laughs> you know, just look like a multi-party. Japan has nailed it, to be fair. Japan is the country I would go to who nailed it, but they obviously got a separate deal from Turkey and Europe. And they effectively had MacArthur as the supreme dictator of the country for like seven years. Which is not good. I don't think that's a good deal. Now, I much prefer this deal. Now you're going to tell me, and my family living in Japan, that Japanese politics isn't extremely normal? I'm shocked by that. Shocked. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I do this bit constantly where I'm like, Turkey, Japan, and Britain are the same country, just at different stages of each one's sort of disease. So we're just experiencing different symptoms of the same disease. Which... It's, it, I don't know, maybe it's because those are the three countries I happen to know the most about, so I'm just doing guy who's only seen Boss Babies watch, watching a second film <laughs> about it, like, maybe that's what I'm doing, but, like, it's a bit uncanny, especially Britain and Japan being sort of insular island countries that are deeply bigoted, but also, in fairness, in Japan, they have trains, so who's to say? Once again, who's to say? None of us can say. Did do Japan have our trains at all? That's the that's the question. Well, I'll tell you who's going to have British funded trains: Turkey. Yeah, yeah, because we're funding their high speed rail projects. Some uh, some of loan. some of our train companies are owned by foreign powers, aren't they? Or is, well, or is that yeah. just the just the fucking gas production or something? It's the gas production, the trains, the water. I mean. What part of the British state hasn't been sold off at this point? Like, um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> the royals. I mean, to be fair, we practically sell them off anyway because we send them. We basically what basically what the royal family actually do is they get to live in very nice houses and occasionally have to. They get sent to a random country to make the local government feel important because they're like, oh, royal family, yeah, I feel important now. And then they get them to sign a trade deal or something. That's literally all it is. Yeah, well, uh, good luck with that once fucking the uh, like the new king. Yeah, the big the new king. Oh, gets, yeah. gets going because his his natural fucking weakness is pens. Apparently, his natural weakness <laughs> is being around people, well, which yeah. I have to say is a fucking disaster. That as well, considering but, what the job is. But ma- actually, to be fair, mainly virals. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that there was actually one really good clip of Charles, which was him talking to the Sinn Fein deputy leader. And just mugging off the DUP in front of them. This <laughs> is an absolutely incredible clip of him being like, "Oh yeah, you, you know, he's just really friendly with her. Whatever, it's fine. He's, you know, he's sad about his mum. Whatever." But the best part was him being like, "So you're the largest party now, aren't you?" <laughs> in front of the fucking DUP leader, <laughs> just absolutely mugging them off. It was so good. Yeah, I'm. I'm not accept. I'm not accepting. Just like this is off topic, but I'm not accepting how he's sad about his mom as like a fucking excuse for like being a knob. Because like people going, oh, he's only human. It's like no, he isn't. God made him special, so he doesn't get yeah. to be only human. I'm sorry. He either has to be fucking better than the rest of us, or he has to fucking quit. Those are the rules. I didn't make them. Yeah, God made those rules. Yeah, and and are you going to speak against God? <laughs> There you go. There's well, not a challenge. In this, not in this listeners. one instance. <laughs> yeah, in this one instance, we agree with with the big man upstairs. <laughs> Considering we are on the record of saying maybe God was wrong on this podcast. <laughs> well, 
if you were to listen to all the conspiracies online, the question with Charles is what God? There's all these conspiracies. There's all these uh, posts by Muslim British people, Muslim Brits saying he secretly converted to Islam. Same I mean, for Hindus. I mean, to be fair, Nas did get a viral tweet saying the Queen converted to Islam. On <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the legacy of that bit. What a, what a magnificent tweet! I knew one of us was going to get the best tweet off about it in the aftermath. I knew it was going to come from one of us. (laughs) I had faith, unlike in this particular god picking Charles. But yeah, I I was going to say, since this is off topic and we've gone off topic, that yeah, he's he's been waiting for this his whole life. Surely this is like the one thing. That he should yeah. have been prepared to do, and he still can't fucking do it. That's exactly what I was saying to the missus last night. Like, she was going, "Oh, he's, well, he's getting angry at the pen, but he's really just upset about his mom." I'm like, "He's been training for this his entire life. He, he should be able to sign a document without like yeah. fucking flaming out." You know what I mean? I sign documents all the time. I don't read them, but I sign them. You know, I I, I nail that bit of it. Yeah. I anyway, mean, let's not let's not think too hard on the implications I... of that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to multi-party democracy in Turkey. So, the, so listeners, long-time listeners will recall that we've had two attempts at doing this before, right? Yeah. We've had the Free Republican Party and the Progressive Republican Party. They both went out really quickly because, not because they explicitly rejected Kemalism, because neither of them did, but because the people who explicitly rejected Kemalism were members of the parties. So they basically looked at the membership and went, nah, we're done with this. No more multi-party democracy until these people stop participating in it. Missing the point of multi-party democracy, I think, a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, they were still learning. It was a, it's a learning experience. I, I, you can't be mad about that, you know? And to be fair, the second time was very funny because the Free Republican Party were just asked politely by Ataturk to shut down and they just said, yeah, fair enough. Again, missing the point of the multi-party democracy bit. But then I guess that's kind of what Keir Starmer's basically done, so... Who's to say what multi-party democracy looks like? What's the old uh, Soviet joke? Uh, The Americans and their extravagance uh, have two different parties that have the exact same beliefs and policies. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a a real Western decadence moment right there. (laughs) um, This is what we were trying to move against. But in Turkey, these two parties actually did have quite different views. We've met the people who have caused who have these different views before. They're called we called them the liberals. Because to be honest, that's just sort of the easiest way to refer to them as a group. Because otherwise I'm gonna have to explain what every single one of them believed. Because they were all really weird people, actually. Quite strange in a lot of cases. And I really don't want to get into like the specifics of Jalal Bayar being a fucking nerd. At least not while Ben's away. When Ben's back, we'll do a whole bonus about it. But for now, you're going to have to trust me that these people are broadly against government intervention, broadly socially conservative, and broadly sort of in favor of having a liberal democracy. You know, as long as they win. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as within, long as they're within winning. Reason. Yeah. Not, not, like, not quite as like managed as the infamous managed democracy of Indonesia, where it actually looked like it was failing to be managed and then the communists were going to win, which is why the series of events that happened there described in the Jakarta method happened. Again, a good friend's America providing the assist there. 
you know, America, we love to spend a couple million dollars, uh, invest in infrastructure, and spend all that money, we invest in infrastructure into death squads. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And and who's to blame them for that extravagance? Yet more yeah. American extravagance on display. But these, this, there's an internal pressure for multi-party democracy because there's a sense that if it doesn't happen now in the aftermath of World War II, when is it going to happen? Because Ismet Inonu's already made his mind up, by the way, at this point. A lot of this is just kind of like an issue of when and how serious the split is going to be. Because Ismet Inonu's made his mind up because he's looked at the Soviets being hostile to him. He's looked at the defeat of the Nazis and he's looked at, you know, which countries... What's, what's the remaining group, right? Who's left? Who's left? And it, who's left is Britain, America, France, and the various occup- territories they're occupying who will eventually have multi-party democracy. So Ismail Inunu kind of goes, well, I mean, I guess it's out of fashion to be a single-party state, really. It, this, is, this is a dramatization of what must have gone. <laughs> to be, this is not like a verbatim quote that he's written down somewhere. But essentially the justification was that in order, one, there's this American pressure. Two, there's this internal pressure, which I'll describe in more detail. And three, he's just kind of like, it, it kind of feels like we're going to be very out of place if we're a single party autocracy. So we should be a multi party autocracy. Makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, you know we, can have the, we can have the, you know, song and dance of having multiple parties, but, you know, we know who's in charge, really. And that's the Republican People's Party. And they won every election since. And the West find that disagreeable because like in a, in a proper modern functioning democracy, you have the, like, the same illusion, but instead of a political party, you have like, and some cunt that owns a newspaper in charge, the way God intended. <laughs> I, was, I thought you were going to make the point about Britain having like <laughs> never had anything other than Tory rule since like 1979. Yeah. The, the, like, the one time we got to not have the Tories was when the Labour Party were the fucking Tories. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Rupert Murdoch's the Tory in charge, isn't he? So Yeah. Fucking cunt. Anyway. Oh, the, imagine <laughs> um, the party when he dies. Oh, could oh, you? God. Could, oh, God. You know, it's him and Kissinger. Right? Yeah. Oh, those are the two. Those are the two big ones. When Kissinger dies, you're going to see the smoke from the moon. It's going to be fucking beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, because I feel I feel like with the Queen, it just it kind of it didn't quite land as well as we'd hoped. It wasn't as big a fucking shit show as we'd hoped in the immediate aftermath. There's still time, obviously. Yeah. And to be fair, we've had the centre parks, the battle, so <laughs> who knows how much more normal it can get. But we didn't really have you know as big an immediate collapse of Britain as we might have hoped. The thing Which is with a the shame, I- the thing with the Queen dying is you only have people in the UK caring about it. The rest of the world doesn't care about it. Uh, you know, doesn't pay a ton of attention to it. When Kissinger dies, you're going to have the Labour Party. You're going to have all the worst he- headbangers, depending how great Kissinger was. Yeah. While uh, everybody else is making fun of his death. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, as well, though, like, he, there is people are going to go so fucking mad. Like, the, all the people that queue up to go, like, well, you shouldn't disrespect the dead. They are going to have the worst fucking like month of their lives when he pops off, oh, because God. the entire like every right-thinking person on the planet, like if they've heard of Henry Kissinger, they fucking hate Henry Kissinger. So there's going to be no, do you know what I mean? There's going to be no. They'd have to turn off the fucking internet worldwide to 
to stop the, <laughs> the torrent of abuse that's going to come out. I mean, to be fair, they're going to have to turn off the internet on the funeral, aren't they? Mm. Because they, they want us all watching it. That's why they're shutting everything down. Yeah. And it's like, I'm just, I might just do a special stream on Twitch. Fuck it. Just be like my competitive, my competition with the, um, with the Royal family. Well, it, it's, it's the, uh, it's the minute silence, I think at 8 PM on Sunday night. So make sure to schedule well, a very loud tweet for that. Well, I've, um, I've got Dr. Arnold Yanagar on the stream that night uh, and we will be live at eight. So I assume something very loud will be happening then. I don't know. Nice. Hopefully. Hopefully, I'll, what I'll do is I'll try. I've got to. I've had to make a new drop for my stream because I replaced one of mine with like the, you know, that like drum and bass drop where they announced Prince Philip died. Yeah, that was fake. <laughs> so one replaced that with um with the Queen. So I've had that as a drop for like the past week because I was doing the whole respect bit. You know, nice. What you know the usual thing, and now I've ha- I've ha- found the replacement for it because apparently there was an Atlanta Falcons quarterback called Dick Shiner. <laughs> And so now I'm, I've got to, I've got to get like a Dick Shiner drop made. And so what I might do is, I might at 8 p.m. exactly play Dick Shiner 60 times, nice or something. 70 times, <laughs> once, once, once for every year of a rain. Yeah, <laughs> like I knew people were telling me to watch the uh, the sort of John Boy's documentary about the Atlanta Falcons because I like the Atlanta Falcons because I'm an insane person, and. And I assumed they just wanted me to watch it because it was going to be about that Super Bowl that I never want to talk about. But instead, I think they sent it to me because Dick Shiner was in the video. <laughs> Thank you to the people who kept annoying me into doing that. Yeah. This is the thing. You just got to keep annoying me and eventually I will sort it out. I, I love that particular like brand of American name that like just, yeah. is just absolutely like comically insane to a British person's ears. I've I've never understood why anyone goes by Dick if they're called Richard. Like I genuinely don't understand. I know it's like rhyming nicknames. I know where it comes from. I just don't understand why you would. <laughs> like, well, want to know what makes it even worse? Dick Shiner is from uh, the country that. So the the town's name is the country in between Syria and uh, Free Palestine, obviously. But how do you guess it's pronounced in the insane American way? Oh, oh no! How 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 insane could it be? I mean, it's it's at least somewhat makes sense if you're reading it. Somewhat. Oh, I mean, how how could Americans possibly mess this up? It's Lebanon, like Lebanon. Le- Lebanon? No, that's not yes. what it says. That's not what it says, though. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that like Connor now has to answer for his entire country on this podcast <laughs> because and we've gone so far off topic. But like, no, it's not pronounced that. That's not right. You're, you're winding this up. <laughs> like, but also, it, it's Dick short. It's short terrible. for Lebanon inch nails. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fucking shirt idea right there. I think, <laughs> I think that's a shirt idea. I need to. I need to workshop that a little bit. I would love to. I would love to wear that shirt actually because i uh i need to buy a bunch of new shirts actually and i need to buy some black shirts because i realized i've run out of shirts that are like the appropriate color for someone of my aesthetic yeah so i'm just walking around in like bright orange shirts and stuff <laughs> and i look like a fucking crazy person anyway speaking of looking like a crazy person i'm not sure how that segues into this actually um fuck it let's just roll with it the first opposition party forms in 1945 it's not an important party at all it's the national development party so you'll be surprised to know this is a conservative, economically liberal party 
who wants to have a liberal democracy. Wow, that's really original in Turkey. Yeah. We, we, it's not like we've had four of these already. But it's, it's mostly, they're mostly not very important. They're just the first one. Eventually, the guy who founds it becomes a Democrat Party uh, MP because they believe the same fucking thing. And part of the reason why the Democrat Party sort of takes off and this one doesn't is because they have a little something called star power. You know, they have big names, the big beasts. And it's always in groups of forward fucking liberals, I've just realized, because the Democrat Party's founded a year later by four Republican People's Party MPs. So they basically sign, they write and sign this declaration, and it basically demands, you know, you should have a multi-party democracy. Fine, I don't think Ismail Inunu was that mad about it, and that the government should decentralize power, and, you know, all of these other things that were generally quite offensive. And they sent him to a newspaper called Vatan, which means like motherland or fatherland or as you like, really. Um, I guess Anavatan is like motherland, which is the name of that party that got trolled by BAP. In case anyone's, <laughs> case anyone's wondering what that was. Oh, no, wait, no, I don't think they were. Actually, I get, I get these two center-right parties confused because Turkey, in its extravagance, not only has like six parties that believe the same things in the 70s, it has two that believe, like, that pitch the exact same thing as well. They're not even pretending to be different. They're just mad at each other. But the, these four MPs are Jalal Bayar, Adnan Menderes, Refik Koraltan, and Fuad Kapurla. Now, Adnan Menderes and Jalal Bayar are kind of our important people here, because Adnan Menderes is the first non-Republic People's Party Prime Minister, and he... He he meets with a terrible end. Let's let's leave it there. But also he meets with a terrible end. But he also gets a mausoleum built. So well, that's, a, again, that's a win. Yeah, considering what he got done for, and and it's not really like an Al Capone getting done for tax evasion type deal. He got done for like the big one. And the other important one is Jalal Bayar, who uh, will become president of Turkey actually in a short while after this these events. And you're, you're all going to love what um, love why Ataturk is on all of the money. Because it's directly related to Adnan Menderes and Jalal Bayar not liking Ismet Inonu. <laughs> so so just, to, just to sort of explain. So on, if you've ever been to Turkey, uh, you know, on all of the money, there's an Ataturk on it, right? Okay, so that's a bit weird, right? Why do we have this guy on all the money? It turns out it used to be the case that the sitting president was put on all the money. which. I have to say, isn't a great solution to the problem, but at least, like, it's, it's up to date. But for a while, you had a Democrat Party government with a Republican People's Party president, and they really hated having Ismail Inonu on all the money. So they decided to put Ataturk on all the money, because no one could possibly object to that. <laughs> so basically, this beef led to one aspect of the longest-lasting personality cult, I think, that exists anywhere. That might actually be true. I'm not sure I can think of one that's lasted longer. Jesus. Like, well, at what point does it become a religion, right? I don't know. That's not my department. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like when you post that, it's your day off image at us. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I actually, actually, one of my favorite things to say at work is it's not my area. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like I'm a software tester. I don't actually write the software that I test because yeah. that would be really weird. And also, I don't know how, so don't ask. Yeah, not my um, not my circus, not my monkeys. 
Yeah, I did. I did get asked um, recently to um, to like try and figure out a problem on the developer side, and I'm happy to help. But also, I'm like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. I barely know what we do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I finally, and to be fair, someone once asked me what the company I work for does, and I sort of incredulously said everything. And then my partner pointed out to me that's basically true. That I'd accidentally understood what the company does. <laughs> so Yeah, it was a real shock for me to see like something like batteries branded with the company I work for in the shop. I was like, what the fuck? We do that now? Oh god. Sorry, I'm not I'm not sounding like I'm very competent at either of my jobs right now. Well that 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 fits well when you work for the Umbrella Corporation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Democrat Party has a very particular political vibe, right? So they do have this sort of liberal economic position because they're mad at the statism, but they are explicitly a populist party, right? So they they sort of they're they're not really critical of Kemalism. Their official party platform is Kemalism. It's just that they have a different idea of what the state should be doing essentially nothing if you if you want the summary of what it is and they're sort of described as right-wing populist there's a very there's sort of a tradition of this kind of political party in turkey that starts here and you you sort of you can see these parties in fact i think there's a democrat party now in turkey yeah named after this party yeah and they have the horse as their symbol, which is not a Democrat Party symbol, I don't think. I think that's um, the other party's symbol. That's the Day Pair, the True Path Party's symbol. Um, oh God, have I mixed up my horse-related parties? Hold on, I'm going to have to look now. <laughs> no, Democrat, Democrat Party has the horse, and they, it actually has two MPs in Parliament right now. Oh wow! And I, I was right about the horse at least, because the Doriol Party or True Path Party does have their um their horse as well. I don't think they exist anymore. Yeah, they dissolved in two thousand and seven. Rest in piss, in my opinion, on that one. I'm not a big fan of the day up there, and you, we're going to hear about why when we get to the eighties and nineties, folks. Don't worry. Uh, but they, they're also the party that had Turkey's first woman prime minister, who was fucking abysmal. Just a complete fucking disaster. My my, I asked my parents when I was a kid, like, is she like the Turkish fat shit? And they said, no, 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 much worse, much worse, like, even more of a crook than Thatcher. Which I have to say is impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be more of a crook. So, it's a generally liberal party, and so this is something that em- doesn't emerge in the fifties, but. Do you, uh, Jamie, you'll remember, uh, we talked about the, the wealth tax, the Varlik Verdesi, yeah. the infamous, very racist yeah. wealth tax. Yeah. And this party kind of, we'll, we'll talk about the 50, 1950 election, but they do come to power partially because they go, look at how embarrassing we were about the Varlik Verdesi. We would do the racism competently and in a way that our allies approve of. Which, yeah, it's it's not it's not a very convincing argument to me, but I guess in the context of Turkey, it made an awful lot of sense to an awful lot of people. It ta- it turns out these things have consequences, which we'll explore in a few episodes' time. And they also they do something a bit different, right? Which is this whole time we've been talking about Turkey from 1924 essentially, 
up until you know the the mid 40s there isn't really a debate in turkey about the role of islam in society at a political level people have opinions right that's life but there isn't really like space for political discussion at the top level for what that's going to be it's it's a secular country we're not religion doesn't dictate you know political policy and that's the end of that and also the, you know the kemalist ban you know they don't ban but they do restrict certain expressions of religious belief and uh, stuff like the head the infamous headscarf ban and stuff like that but that comes a bit later but it is strongly discouraged. You're lent on a little bit to not, to not be wearing the headscarf or well, wearing the fez was explicitly illegal. Yeah, which the fashion police. Yeah, it's not a religious article of clothing. The fez. It, that's more of a sort of thing you would wear if you were a functionary of some kind, or if you were on a stag do, or if you were one of them. You know them weird performing monkeys they'd have in some places. They have they make them wear little fezes. That's that's kind of that's kind of when you'd wear a fez. I, there is a picture of me floating around on the internet of me looking very drunk wearing a fez, and I just want to say that uh, my parents saw that picture recently and said, "Wow, we forgot how much of a mess you were at 19. <laughs> like, oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, mom and dad, love you. They do listen to the episodes, so they will hear that. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. if your parents really loved you, they would remember how much of a mess you were at 19. Yeah. Yeah, they they uh they're big fans of it. <laughs> my my parents at the time were like, "Are you are you feeling okay?" When the picture showed up on Facebook, we're like, "Are you feeling okay?" Like, I'm fine. What what do you mean? You might want to look on Facebook, and there's a picture of me looking really drunk wearing a fez, <laughs> and I'm just like, "Oh dear, right, yeah, well, that's gonna happen." It was a Halloween metal club night, and someone had brought a fez, so of course I had to wear it. Yeah. So. Fezes aside, what happened in Turkey's first ever multi-party elections? Well, it was it was a landslide for the Republican People's Party. But here's the thing. What a twist. Yeah, what a twist. But I tried looking to see if I could find any anything, anything at all about this. So so if you want the seat breakdown, it's Repu- so there are 465 seats in the parliament. I'll go from bottom to top. There are six independents. You know, that's pretty nice. Good for them. There are 64 Democrat Party MPs, and there are 395 Republican People Party MPs, which is, uh, it's quite a big landslide. Yeah. That's a, that's a, what we, what we in Britain would call a healthy majority of 325, I think. It's a 325 seat majority, yeah, which it's, it's mathematically what, could not exist here. I don't think it's what the uh, it's what the British press would refer to as Jeremy Corbyn, well shaking yeah. their fist, you know. This is this is what Jeremy Corbyn wanted. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if you look at the color of the parties in the parliament, uh, in the little parliament graphic they have on Wikipedia, yeah, this is I could kind of go for this. You know, if we ignore what the parties were and just focus on the color, I'd yeah. kind of into this. <laughs> we just went by know? vibes. Yeah, if we went by, like, obviously the red is like our big socialist party and the pinks are like, you know, some social democrats we let pretend, you know, to let, make him feel important. You know, like, social de- the way you should treat social democrats is like a toddler. Yeah. You should give him one of them fake telephones and make him feel important and like they're calling people. Yeah, That's the, how um, you should treat social democrats. The red is communism and the pink is stonewall and the white is like turfs. 
being crushed between the two, <laughs> being annihilated. That's how I'm. Erratic. That's how I'm choosing to <laughs> interpret that. <laughs> but so okay, so you might be wondering, okay, but can we see the number of votes? Here's the thing: you can't. Hmm. And and I've looked and I've looked and I've looked because I was like, surely someone somewhere has gone into an archive. And they've actually stupidly left it somewhere because governments are full of stupid people. Yeah. And apologies to any civil servant friends, but it's true. You are stupid. You know, sorry. Um, just spitting straight facts there. I mean, I almost became a civil servant. So, you know, I couldn't even manage to get the stupid people job. So what does that say about me? But so I, I looked at the electoral system. It's like, OK, so what you did was you would just vote for. So you, each province would get a certain number of MPs. Fine. OK. And you just get that number of votes. And whoever came out on top wins. You know, the top six or seven or whatever wins. Fine. Makes sense. Bit long way to go about it, but okay. But I could but apparently the votes were taken away and destroyed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't they couldn't even they, So this is the thing. A lot of people think like Erdogan rigs elections. And I'm not saying he doesn't. But at least he's finessed it to a degree that isn't just we've taken the boxes and incinerated them immediately. I love I love that um, despite the fact that this is the most clearly rigged election in Turkish history, they're still just like okay, uh, the Democrat Party they can have Istanbul. Yeah, I. I, I've tried finding these vote counts; they do not exist, and they do, and it's just so weird to me. Yeah, they're, they're like, they let them have Istanbul. Istanbul always has, it's, it's very odd. If you know anything about like Turkish electoral history, Istanbul tends to be like a, almost a bellwether. It makes more sense to think of it that way when we had like, when they had like genuinely like six, seven parties competing instead of four. But generally speaking, whoever's winning Istanbul is winning the election. So it's impressive that the Democrat Party really didn't win the election at all um, <laughs> in one Istanbul. It might just be that Istanbul was too big to rig even back then, to be honest. It's a big place. But, yeah, so if you want that seats as a percentage, the Republican People's Party won 85.4% of the seats. The Democrat Party's 13. And, yeah, this is very clearly rigged. Like, no one, no one, even, like, official, you know, historians who follow the official Turkish state line, they go, yeah, look. We're going to be honest, it was rigged. Like, no one no one believes this election was legitimate, not even, like, hardcore Jehepeh people. They don't even believe this. No one believes this. But the consequence of this, and it's sort of a reason why it was rigged, right? And it's because the Republican People's Party is... So you know how when... It's kind of like when a big band changes its style. It retains some of its audience, but it has to, like, build up a new audience for the style to get back to the number it was at. The Republican People's Party is sort of being forced to act like a political party for the first time in, you know, probably 27 years. Yeah. And, and they're not very good at it because they've never done it before. Whereas these other people, you know, like Jalal Bayar, Adnan Menderes, they've been an internal opposition in the party. They've been playing politics. I hate that phrase, playing politics, because like, that's what you're meant to do. But, yeah. But they've been doing that. And so they're actually good politicians. They're horrible, as we'll find out, horrible people, good politicians. Uh, not necessarily mutually exclusive, to be fair. And 
there be- and because Ataturk's not there anymore, it's much more acceptable to have actual political discourse, right? Because the big man is not there anymore. It's the much smaller second man. And so you can actually have politics happen, and they're not very good at it. And they've sort of realized that they're trapped. They're perfectly trapped. And also, there's a lot of controversies around the Republican People's Party in the post-war era, right? There's the sort of rationing. People did not like rationing. A lot of people perhaps rightly ask the question, if we're not at war, why are we rationing things? For fun? Well, I mean, part of it is because, like, no country is is actually an island in reality, and all of the fucking food... And, st- and, you know, all of the imports and stuff were disrupted by the big, massive war happening everywhere else. Which I think is fair. And the, and the other part of it is they were preparing for just in case you go to war. But try telling that to people after you didn't go to war. Yeah. It, it's kind of like how if the British government had actually prepared for COVID properly, they would have been accused of over-preparing. Yeah, it's, um, it's the fucking Y2K thing. People, people spent the 90s screaming about how Y2K was going to end like the world and then nothing fucking happened. And it's like, yeah, I wonder why. I wonder why nothing happened. Yeah, that's, that's more or less what the reaction is like. And this kind of dogs Ismet Inonu in his extremely long political career because we're, like, we're not even done with this guy. He's going to be here until 1971. He's, he's going to be back in power, by the way, eventually as well. But basically, this is a party realizing that people outside of the party exist, and those people maybe do not like them. Realizing that the Soviet Union doesn't like them, and realizing that the general population probably doesn't like them very much at this point. They get another term in government, but to be honest, it's there isn't like a massive amount I want to talk about in that second term. But very they do eventually come to the 1950 election which is actually an election where you know democracy happened this is actually a real election and would you believe it it resulted in a landslide in the other direction i was just the one where your man said like you didn't want it rigged because you just needed the week off or some shit yeah so there is okay so there is a story behind this right but that's what that parliament looked like um, almost a perfect mirror image of the other one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how... And we actually do have vote percentages this time. So the, uh, the Democrat Party, they won 55.2%. It's a respectable number. The Republican People's Party, they won 39.6%. A little bit embarrassing, I have to admit. And then there's a new party on the block, the Nation Party, uh, who get a seat. They get a single seat. I, I was wondering about that one that's a slightly different colour at the bottom, right? Yeah, so the, so the Nation Party are... Um, they're kind of the first of a type of party that will start emerging in Turkey, which are sort of ultra-nationalist political parties. Oh, good. Yeah, because the Democrat Party, for all of their um, sort of appeals to racism and such, there was a group of people who thought they're not an effective opposition to, to the Republican People's Party. How dare they? And Which is very funny because they got like one, um, one seat. Yeah. And this party is actually formed by uh, some people who we might actually recognize. Uh, one in particular is Fevzi Chakmak, who is a former prime minister of Turkey at this point. And who, so like there's a depiction of him in like Hearts of Iron because this is a Hearts of Iron podcast <laughs> as the Turkish Franco. <laughs> And that's not 
you know, he's he's the guy who replaced Inonu uh, on the Western Front way back when we were talking about the Independence War. He's yeah. the guy who took over and fixed the mess, even though it wasn't really a mess. But he took over and fixed it. And in fact, he looked like this. He looks exactly like how you expect the leader of an ultra-nationalist party to look. Yeah, fair play, like. <laughs> yeah, this is, he's more or less got it bang on for the look. And he, yeah, he's, he's a character. He's certainly, Turkish Franco suits him, but I'm not sure it's quite right. But it's, it's good enough for now. And this party would, is basically the precursor to eventually the nationalist movement party who are a fascist party whose founders actually are the subject of um of the next of the bonus episode which we'll be doing in a little bit but the they eventually form the sort of republican villagers nation party who would eventually form the nationalist party it's it's not good i admit, admittedly i will say that the logo is it's not bad it's not bad for that uh the republican villagers party it's not a horrible logo, it's just a horrible party with horrible ideas. Yeah, but the logo slaps. Yeah, it does look like a Department of Justice, to be honest. And also, I'm not sure what order you're meant to read these letters in if I didn't have the thing at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah. But yeah, so this is, you know, they win a seat. They eventually get banned uh, because they are basically... The, the case is that they're anti-secular, so they're banned. And this is just sort of a general catch-all way to ban political parties. It's like anti-secular, banned, gone. And obviously you couldn't ban the Republican People's Party on that basis because, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work, right? But their, their basic primary view of primary mode of opposition was that the Republican People's Party was too secular. And also they needed uh, the, the Democrat Party was fake opposition. And, and to be fair, if the, the fake opposition did win, and they won quite big. If you like, I like looking at this map. Actually, I don't like looking at it because I don't like the party. But this map is quite stark when you compare it to the last one. Fair play. Yeah, yeah, it's um quite a battering they took. But yeah, so Jamie, you mentioned this is the one where Isma Inonu was offered the chance to rig the election or stay in power, and he said no. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a bit of the story here, which is that. The security services at the time were kind of worried about what a Democrat Party government would mean, because the Democrat Party, remember, is easing up on the sort of secularism elements of it, statism stuff. You know, okay, whatever. Like, you can kind of you can kind of negotiate around economics, right? But the military sees itself very particularly as a defender of secularism, because that is the key bit of the legacy that they want to defend that Ataturk left them. Yeah. Because, like, so like, religious societies have alternative power bases to a secular military, right? At the, end, at the end of the day, that is part of it, which is that, you know, if you have an organized clergy like in Iran, for example, might the organized clergy become a power base and seize power or be a counterbalance to the military? Yeah. Who knows? I, I certainly haven't looked into Iran recently. I'm, I assume that the, the Shahs are still doing well. But there was an offer to sort of prevent a transition of power. But Isma Inanu kind of saw the writing on the wall with the election result because, let's be honest, if you've just got your ass kicked this badly, it's pretty hard to justify staying on. Like, you, you've lost by 
like the the time to rig it was before the yeah. votes got counted and everyone found out what the result was. That was really the time to do it. They missed the boat on that one, so they he kind of, so, and because remember, there's this external pressure from America, which is and Marshall Plan money has started coming in to Turkey at this point. 1947 is when that starts coming in, and so there's a bit of anxiety around will the money keep coming if we prevent a sort of peaceful transition of power so they just kind of let it happen which is fine i mean it's a bad motivation to do it but it's fine you should have peaceful transitions of power if you're aiming to be a liberal democracy or at least look like one or at least look like one and if the nation party are correct it's a controlled opposition anyway so you'll be back in five years yeah or four years so who cares right like not a big deal but this means that Turkey actually has its first non-Republican People's Party Prime Minister, a man called Adnan Menderes, who it famously, uh, everything went fine for him. And we won't be talking about the decade he was in power in great detail because nothing happened. Yeah. yeah. Completely fine and normal man. Um, certainly, certainly do not look at his Wikipedia page and do not look at the cause of death. So I definitely don't do that, and definitely don't look at what he was tried for. Which, anyway, I've, I've said too much already. So that's going to be, that's your immediate post-war episode, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, Connor, before we, before we go, you should, you should tell the good people where they can find you, and so on. My handle on Twitter is Connor A. Mulhern. Uh, it is... C-O-N-N-O-R, spelled the good old classic Irish way as opposed to the weird American way. And uh, there we go. All right. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're off to record the bonus episode, which is going to be about the racism Turanism trials. Nice. <laughs> the, the, one of the most wild episodes in Turkey. I, I, like, I like how the bonuses, I keep trying to like do an easy bonus, like a relaxed bonus, but they keep escalating. Because I keep finding new things to talk about. So, yeah, we're just going to talk about casual trial, uh, the racism, racism trials, as I call them. But we're going to go record that now, everyone. We're going to catch you next time. Bye. See ya. Bye.